Welcome to Fellowship Rogers. Would you stand and let's join with creation and magnify the Lord our God together.
And let me say thank you for your generosity because when we opened our disaster relief portal, uh, you helped out the folks there in Springdale. We have continued to be able to provide everything from beds to blankets to refrigerators to uh, you just name it whatever the needs were. And it's because of your generosity we were able to do that. At the same time, we've been able to help out uh, those in Ukraine who are in need with relief work. And even, we're even able to get one family out of Ukraine uh, into Canada. So thank you for your generosity. Isn't that fabulous stuff right there? Yeah. You are the hands and feet of Jesus, and, and as a matter of fact, with all of our congregations participating, we've closed the portal because you were so generous, and, and we're still helping out, uh, so thank, thank you so much. My name is Mickey, and I'm on, uh, one of the staff members here at Fellowship, and uh, I have to color code my calendar now because I'm at all these different congregations from week to week. And that's a good thing. Everything's going well in Bentonville. Forgive my voice this morning. Did okay with the pollen, but the mold got me. And I'm uh, having to deal with that right now. But uh, I encourage you uh, to pray for Sam right now. He's in Northern Ireland uh, with C.S. Uh, Lewis Institute speaking there this week. And they were going to wear him out. They're working him hard, and so he could use your prayers with the time differences and all those things. I was there before COVID speaking to a group, and they have the opportunity with the ministry that they have to turn Northern Ireland upside down. It, it, it is really a great opportunity for Sam this week. So be praying for him. Uh, for those watching on live stream and for all of us, it is a great tool for us. It was great during COVID for us to be able to continue to have services. Uh, when you're out of town, it's, you're able to keep up with the series and all that. Or when you're ill and you can't be here, it's a great tool to use. Uh, but if you're just wanting to hug your pillow now and just be comfortable and watch the live stream rather than come to church, that's not what it's for. Okay, that time is past. That time is past. We need you here. You may not think you need us, but we need you. You may not miss us, but we miss you. And so it's, uh, I, I shared this message down in Fayetteville a couple of weeks ago, and a lady posted on Facebook, okay, I've gotten too comfortable with live stream. I got the message this morning. I'm going to get up and get dressed. See you next week. And uh, so I would encourage all of you, those of you watching on live stream, come on back. Come on back, all right? Hey, I want you to watch an encouraging video from our student ministry. Wednesday night, all of our student ministries got together at Fellowship Bentonville. They filled up the room, which is the same size as this one, with students. Is that not encouraging? That is encouraging. When I was their age, whoever was up here had to dodge spit wads, you know, and these kids are worshiping. 
they're worshiping. And so pray for our student ministries and all the great things that are happening. But that really encouraged me as I saw them worshiping together. And we're about to do something that we've never done before. We're opening during the month of June a portal on our giving page on the website. It's called Student Activity Fund. And here's what we want to do with this. We're contacting all of our alumni uh, who've been a part of student ministry through the years and their lives have been changed through our camps and retreats, things like that. And we're just asking them to donate a little bit. I went to a young couple and I asked them, I said, you know what, you all went to our camps and retreats and all those things through the years. Would you be able to, to help pay for another student go to camp? And they said, absolutely. You know why they haven't done it? Because no one's asked. No one's asking. So now we're asking. That'll just be during the month of June that you can take advantage of that. And what we're going to be able to do is to help students who can't go to a camp or a retreat because they can't afford it. But we're also going to be able to lower the cost for everyone in those camps and retreats. And that video you just watched is why. We don't want any of our kids missing out on that. So I wanted to make you aware. It's called Student Activity Fund, and that's going to be coming up. Young professionals are going to be worshiping here tonight. They have a young professionals worship night. You say, what is a young professional? It's anybody younger than me. Anybody younger? When I picked up my sausage biscuit at McDonald's this morning, the lady said, here you go, hon. And she was like 20, and I was like, Am I at that point between endearing and pathetic? <laughs> you know, is that where I am now? Here you go, hon. Speaking of young professionals, Don Reed, there you are. Come talk to us this morning about a line. This man, I want you to appreciate him because what he's done here at Fellowship, got to step over here to the middle or Megan will get in turn and uh, you'll be in trouble with Megan because of live stream. Uh, so got to stand here in the middle. Um, but uh, this gentleman has done a fantastic job helping us, and he's going to tell you about it. All right? Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Mickey. Thank you, Mickey. It's on. It's on. Thank you, Mickey, for the uh, it's on, hun. stories of generosity. <laughs> I wish I had that kind of power. It's on. Okay. You got it. Uh, thank you, Mickey, for the stories of generosity this morning. And there's a phrase going to come up on the screen. It's not what we want from you, it's what we want for you. That uh, describes a number of things that I was thinking about uh, being up here for a couple of minutes this morning. One, it it's describes God's attitude toward the things that he gives to us. It's what he wants for us, not necessarily what he wants from us. But it also describes coming here as Mickey invited, coming here in person. Just think of the things that were already for us as we came today. A place to park anywhere around the building you prefer. You come in and there is a seat for you that is comfortable. There is uh, gonna cla just classical worship here that is uh, authentic and draws us into worshiping God. And a good message, you're giving a good message this morning? <laughs> a message every, every Sunday for the... <laughs> from the Word of God. And then, if your kids are here this morning, they're being taken care of for you. If you have an adolescence in the program, they're being taught Christian worldview here to help you as a parent. Many things, you can get a coffee on the way in and a latte on the way out. It's not, what's, it's not what we want from you, it's what we want for you. It's different if you go to a concert or you go to a, a game, they go, here, I want from you, then you can come and get the for you. It's upside down here at church. Now, we've kind of gone over the top, Mickey, in the for you uh, who are part of fellowship. 
And what we have for you starting last July is a free will and a trust. Did you hear me say that? A free will and a trust. Last July, uh, Fellowship went into partnership. Thank you, Mickey, for your leadership and the elders' approval to have a partnership with a ministry in California that for 40 years has been helping people get a free will and a trust if they were a member of an evangelical organization, churches, mission agencies, Christian colleges, campgrounds, etc. And we are now a part of that flow. And you say, how do we get into that? Uh, it is by taking the class uh, that starts on June 5 and ends on July 17. If you do that, you will be introduced to the process of a free will and a free trust. There are 69 families who have already been through the class in the last 12 months, and we'll have another one coming up June 5 through July 17. Go to the website, look for the training center, register there. I know the class is going to be full. Thanks, Mickey, for your time. Thank you. Thank you. This is awesome. And appreciate okay. Don Reed. Would you? See you in class. Let's pray together before we worship. Lord, we ask you at this moment to take away all the distractions that fill our minds. Lord, help us to just focus on you. To be grateful for all the things that you are and for all that you've done. You are mighty God. You are the God of miracles. And Lord, we see so many needs in front of us that we pray and we ask, Lord, that your healing touch would move. Oh Lord, strengthen our faith this morning as we study your word, as we sing together. Oh Lord, affirm our faith as we prepare in this service to observe communion and remember you. It's in Christ's name we pray. If you're able to stand, would you join us and ask the Lord to remind you of his faithfulness and maybe where you need to seek his faithfulness to you this morning. Every 
together about his character, his nature, who he is, what he has done for us. Do you lift your voices?
you're working you never stop you never stop working you never stop you never stop working even when i don't see it you're working even when i don't feel it you're working you never stop you never stop working you never stop you never stop working even when i don't see it you're working singing that song, my mind was taken to just outside Tulsa, Oklahoma in Broken Arrow, not too far from here, where I have a cousin who is in hospice at home. She's been handicapped her whole life. And she's going to pass sometime soon. And her parents have been her caretaker for her entire life. And as we look at the Gospel of John and we see the miracles, we see Jesus healing lives. The lame to walk. He brings Lazarus back to life. And here we have before us an opportunity to to spend some time in prayer for healing. And I've been thinking this past week, what what, what does healing look like for my cousin Jenna? think healing looks like getting to spend eternity with Christ. There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. So this morning, I'm praying for Jenna. I'm praying for Jim and Marcia, her parents. But as we just have a few minutes here, would you just take a moment and pray for those in your life, the names that are on your mind right now. Just lift them up before the Lord, whether they're dealing with physical suffering, whether it's mental or spiritual. There's no need too big or too small 
to take to the Lord. So just take a moment and lift them up in prayer. Even feel free to pray for the struggles that you're walking through. you for help and you healed me we believe that you are healer and God we submit our will to yours in this place today God we make our request known to you so as we sing these words God would you minister to our hearts
that no one can fathom how wide, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And that love is intended for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the confidence that we have that you love us and your healing hand is there. Show us things from your word this morning. Add your blessings to it. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. John chapter 4 and verse 46. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this hurt man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with news that the boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And so he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. I would argue that nothing in life distresses us more than a sick or a dying child. I see so many nods out there. So many of you have been there with a child who has a fever that you don't know if it's going to go down. Or a blood test that's not what you expected. And it just goes on and on. I've walked with families through children who were dying and done funerals for children. And it's one of life's most distressing moments. But we know that God's ways are higher than our ways, His thoughts above our thoughts. And so we take him at his word. We trust that he knows better, even in those moments when life doesn't get any tougher. As we study the miracles of Christ in the book of John in our second week in this series, the dilemma we face today is that of a dying child, as we've just read. All hope seems lost. Enter Jesus. You see, whenever he showed up, he never just stood by. He made a difference at every encounter with broken, lost, hopeless souls. You may be one of those right now. 
You may be here this morning because you're reaching out and reaching up. This is a good place to be because when we gather here, we are face to face and shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, linking together. But Jesus intervened and responded to the prayer of an unlikely petitioner. And here we're going to see four expressions of faith. We're going to see Christ's faith. We're going to see confident faith. We're going to see confirmed faith and a contagious faith. Now I want to set up the context of the event because it happens just following Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman. So I want you to jump back to verse 39 and look at the power of a testimony. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. How important is a testimony? How important is your story? I would venture to say that your testimony, your story of why you believe in Jesus is the most important tool you have for evangelism. There are millions around the world who will tell you that they became interested in Jesus because of someone's story. And as they dug further, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit touched them, and they came to know Him through that. Notice the Samaritans there believed in Him because of the woman's testimony. We just have to have the, the courage to share our stories. And believe that God will use it. Even if we mess it up. God can use it in the life of someone else. And notice that God used the woman, an outcast, to reach the Samaritans. Don't ever think that God can't use you. He can. He can use the few words that you might speak to get someone's attention. And then there was a great awakening. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay. And there's our word meno, the Greek word again, abide. Abide that we talked about, remain. They urged him to stay with him, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They wanted to hear more. They have a full-blown revival happening in an unlikely place, Samaria. Remember, it was a surprise that Jesus even traveled through Samaria. You, you could go up through the middle of Samaria, or you could go around by the Jordan River, and they usually traveled by way of the Jordan because you had water and you had fish. But Jesus chose to go through Samaria. Jews avoided Samaria. Why? Because they considered the Samaritans to be a mixed breed. They looked down on them. In 722 B.C., when Sargon the Assyrian came in and, and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, he took away half of the Jewish people there. And he spread them through Babylon and Syria and other places. And he replaced them with people from those regions. And the people of that northern kingdom, they intermarried with the foreigners. And therefore, they were Samaritans. 
as far as the Jews were concerned, they had lost their racial purity and they looked down on them. And so it must have amazed the Jews that he, that he stayed in Samaria for two more days. But here's what I want you to realize. The word is spreading. The word is spreading that a healer is in their midst. You know, I've been praying for revival in America for years now, but I've changed that prayer in just the last year. I'm praying for a great awakening in our country. I'm praying that we would open our eyes, that God would show himself in ways that we can't deny. And we would open our eyes to the good news of Jesus. And so they said to the woman, verse 42, we no longer believe just because of what you said. It's not just your story anymore. We've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. They said, we get it. They heard it. And here's the most important thing. They responded. There are a lot of people that hear it. And, and they may do something about it for a little while, but, but they responded. They were serious about what they had learned. And so verse 43, after two days, he left for Galilee. And once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And I want you to see this on the map. You can see there Cana. Uh, in the middle on the left, and there, there was Capernaum where Jesus made his hometown. And down in the middle there around Mount Gerizim is where he had the encounter with a Samaritan woman, which you'll study that later. Uh, but I want, I want you to also realize that, you know, between these encounters, there's quite a bit of time. I mean, he went to Cana, and then he went over to Capernaum, which was uh, about a, a two-day walk. And then he went down to Jerusalem. He was there in Jerusalem for a while, and that's where he encountered Nicodemus. And, and then he went to the Jordan, and then he went back up to Samaria. This didn't happen over a few hours. It was several days, possibly even a few weeks, that this took place. But the miracle in Cana caused a stir among the people. And the word of Jesus is spreading quickly, which you're going to see in the upcoming encounter. And first of all, we see evidence of Christ's faith, uh, Christ's faith. There was a certain royal official, verse 46, there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Now, when it says royal official, this, this must have been surprising to the people who were there because royal officials with the Romans didn't beg. This was someone who served under Herod Antipas. That's what pain does to us. Regardless of who you are, it levels the ground, doesn't it? We all feel that pain. Dallas Willard said this about pain. Pain is what we experience when we bump into reality. <laughs> pain is what we experience when we bump into reality. Somehow, somewhere, some have gotten the idea that if you are a Christian, you're not going to have to deal with pain anymore. That's the health, wealth gospel. Baloney. You look through the scriptures and see People who follow God with all their hearts and they endured pain. 
They endured difficulty. All the apostles except John would experience martyrdom. Paul talks about his suffering. It's a part of it that draws us nearer to God. Another one, David Dickinson said, On the bed of sickness, the Lord ripens his people for glory. I like that phrase, he ripens us for glory. As we have to deal with sickness. Our pain is not in vain. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one who, who preached in England to the thousands, wrote this. He said, I venture to say that the greatest earthly blessing God can give to any of us is health with the exception of sickness. Sickness has frequently been of more use to the saints of God than health has. You may not know this about Spurgeon, but he dealt with depression all his life. He was this great speaker that people would flock to hear when he was 22 years old. It was a, he was in a crowded auditorium and <clears throat> someone yelled, Fire! And I think it was 10 people were killed as they were trying to get out of that auditorium. He never got over it. But he dealt with depression. For weeks at a time, he would be in his bed, even though he was a great man of faith. And he said, it's the greatest earthly blessing God can give to us. Remember that. Sometimes pain forces us to look up. Sometimes being flat of our back reminds us that God is God. He is in the heavens and he controls every part of us. <clears throat> Spurgeon once wrote, he said, I pity a dog who has to suffer what I have. And C.S. Lewis one of the most famous quotes on pain said, we could ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. But do we listen? Do we curse God in the midst of our pain? Or do we listen and say, Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? When I visit the hospital, I'll also often ask a person in the hospital bed, What's, what is God teaching you through all this? And it's amazing, many times they'll have an answer. Our pain is not in vain. Next we see a confident faith. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. Go, your son will live. There wasn't some long diatribe on, on miracles or, or faith or anything like that. He just said, go. Your son will live. And so that's what the man did. Picture the boy, lifeless, unconscious, sweating with fever. There were no antibiotics, nothing like that in that day. Personalize the pain. See that sweating child with a, with a mother standing over, wiping the brow, thinking these are the last moments that she'll have with him. And the father who hears about the healer and he's running to him and begging him, which is so out of character, to come and heal my child. 
the, the, the gentleman had some misconceptions. Number one, he believed that Jesus would have to come to Capernaum before his son could be healed. That wasn't the case. And he also thought that Jesus would have to arrive before the child died. But we know that's not the case with Jesus either. But he didn't know that. Jesus can heal anytime, anywhere, anyone. That's the power that he has. We can't put God in a box. We've been told to ask and seek and knock. And so when pain and when difficulty comes, we don't get angry. We get busy. We get busy praying for others in our family or people that we know. We get busy praying for them. I think of Jim Bongram. We showed you his video before he had his big surgery. All the doctors had said, you know, it's entwined with your organs, it's a cancer, it's bad, da 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 on and on and on. But they did all the chemotherapy rounds and rounds and rounds to try to shrink the tumor. Uh, then they said, no, it's not there. Jim goes in the hospital, has surgery. The cancer comes right out. It was a miraculous thing. Even the doctors were amazed. Doctors here had told me, nah, you just don't get over that one. He's still dealing with cancer. It's the kind that comes back. But in that one instance, we all stopped and said, amazing God. Amazing the question, do we take Jesus at his word? Are his promises good for you or just for other people? We need to take him at his word. We'll come back to that in just a moment. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. We had a crisis faith, a confident faith, and now a confirmed faith. The boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when the son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And he starts doing some thinking, some addition in his mind here. Okay, one in the afternoon, I went to see him. That was the exact time. That was the exact time. Like a spirit lifted him from his body, the fever left him the moment Jesus considered the situation in his own way. He acted from a distance. There was nothing mystical or magical about it. It's just the way that he works. He can heal, and sometimes he does. And in this case, he did. Why? It was a, it was a part of his purpose and his plan to heal him. And we have to accept that and celebrate that, what he can and what he does. But what, what about when he doesn't? That's his plan too. None of us are going to live forever. Not all of us are going to live to be adults. But do we take God at his word? Do we trust him when those difficult times come? Then there was a contagious faith. 
crisis faith, a confident faith, a confirmed faith, and now a contagious faith. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. That often happened back then when the leader of the household made a decision, the whole household followed, and they did. And we'll see in this instance that the nobleman believed in Jesus twice. Keep in mind, he didn't know Jesus when this first happened. He had just heard the story about this healer who was able to make a difference. In verse 50, he believed Jesus that his son would not die. In verse 53, he put his faith and his trust in Jesus. And I would ask you that this morning. Have you done that? Have you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus? Have you asked him to come into your heart? Have you placed eternity in his hands? If you haven't done that, if it's not been a personal decision for you, it's just something that you've said, oh, yeah, I've known about Jesus all my life. That's not it. It's not it. It's believing in him enough to act on it. Like this man did. He had heard about the healer. But when he saw what he had done and what he could do, he believed. He believed in him. It's not enough just to do the right things in this world. It's placing your faith and your trust in Christ. I had so many guys when I was in college, once I got serious about my faith and I wouldn't go to the parties anymore, I wouldn't do those things anymore, I just stopped doing all the stuff I had been doing. And I really started reading my Bible. And some of the guys in the dorm, they started coming to me and talking to me about things. And I would share my faith with them. And, and you know what? One reply I would get from them most often was, nah, I, before I do that, I, I got I to gotta get some things straightened out. I got to get some things straightened out before I can come to God. No. We come to God just as we are, warts and all. And he washes us as white as snow. He already knows who you are. He's already, he already knows what you've done. Just come to him. Just come to him. It's one of the things about I love about Celebrate Recovery on Friday nights. You come to a Celebrate Recovery service and, and you see a group of people who are coming to Jesus just as they are. <laughs> I never leave without tears. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Keep in mind these things about this passage. The miracles authenticated the message of Jesus. And you're going to see that throughout this miracles series. The, the message was authenticated by the miracles. And do we take Jesus at his word? I want to ask you that question again. When the tough times come, and, this, and they will, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Are you going to be able to trust him during those tough times? The decision to make in that regard is now. To say, I trust you, Lord, has to be said now. Pat, they're going to sing a song called Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. And it was written 
out of a context where Louisa Steed's husband drowned trying to save a young man. And she was left alone with her child and she wrote those words, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, give me grace to trust him more. We got to make that decision now because those tough times will come. And we need to realize this. I want you to look carefully at this, written by a guy who's going through a very difficult time, James Jarrett. He said, We trust that God's purposes for each of our lives are far deeper, deeper than the removal of our problems. We trust that God's purposes for each of our lives are far deeper than the removal. Of our problems. We need to get a hold of that. We're going to have problems. We're going to face that. And sometimes. You'll see Jesus intervene. And you'll be amazed. Don't doubt God's love for you. When you don't see him act immediately. But in some cases. Like this noble official son. He does. So this morning we come together and we affirm our faith in Jesus. Through communion, we're going to come together and remember what he's done for us. Never let it be just a rote observance to you. When you take the bread, when you take the cup, know how precious it is. Let's pray together, prepare our hearts. You just spend some quiet moments with God.
remember his sacrifice as we prepare our hearts for communion this morning. I take the bread of life broken for all my sin your body crucified to make me whole again I will recall the cup poured out in sacrifice to trade this sinners in for your new
You know, God will decide when it's our time to go. It's not ours to decide, it's His. He may choose to do a miracle in our lives in some way to be a testimony to other people. But we need to remember that. That until we come to that place where we see Him face to face, we are to live on, to march through this world being a witness and a testimony to Him. Would you stand? as we take communion together. The bread, this is my body. He said, take, remember me. The cup, the new covenant in his blood. He said, take, drink, remember me. Together with one heart and one voice, a cappella, let's sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Let's live in the light of His love. God bless you.